When I say mentor, what I mean is someone in the field that you want to excel at, who has been there before, they see promise in you and then they offer to help you. They see what you're doing and they see that you have the kind of ambition. Maybe they see their younger self in you. podcast listener. Even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. I'm going to start this episode with a quote that I read on my seventh favorite website, facebook.com. It was written by Taylor Pearson, our friend and the author of The End of Jobs. He was talking about why I was moving to New York City. And here's his quote about it. He said, my most successful life and career strategy hands down to date has been one, identify a geographic place with a high density of cool people doing interesting things that I don't fully understand, but feel like would open up new interesting possibilities for me. And two, move there. Just like that. Just like that. And I think this is interesting. A lot of times when you read about success or talk about it, people say, well, there's a lot of things you could be doing. You could be exercising. You could be eating well. You could be identifying your top three most important tasks of the next day, the night before you go to bed. You could be going to more networking meetings. You know what I mean? It's like there's kind of this top 10 list galore about all these things you could be doing. But Taylor's saying, look, this one thing had the biggest impact. And I love his strategy. And today's episode is about a similar, simple strategy. And it's just this. Find someone you want to be like and go be of value to them. This is what we call in entrepreneurial circles, finding a mentor. And it's an extremely powerful strategy, but it's not so easy to execute. Dan, this is a very complex relationship. And so we're going to talk about some of the complexities of this kind of relationships. But already in your description of what Taylor is going to do and how to find a mentor, there's already some assumptions that I'm starting to spin through in my head. You said find a mentor. Why don't mentors find you or why don't mentees find each other? How does this whole thing work? And so let's break down some of the ways that these relationships are successful. So in today's episode, we're going to take a look at the most powerful Powerful and potentially toxic of relationships and entrepreneurship, the relationship between the mentor and the mentee, the good, the bad, and some uglies. So Ian and I are going to share our experiences being mentored and some of the characters we come across along the way. But to kick us off today, we've enlisted the help of Tim Conley. He's done a lot of work within the Dynamite Circle, mentoring and advising people. I've gone to him many times for advice. He's written about it on his blog. So when I met up with him recently in Austin, I took the opportunity to read back to him one of his blog posts because I wanted to discuss some of the ideas he had in it. So I open up here with Tim's own words. Mentorship is a time-consuming and a giant responsibility. Molding a life is a big deal. Don't underestimate the pressure you're putting on a person when you ask. Further, anyone who would make a good mentor will say no to being asked to be a mentor. I'm hoping that you can help us unpack that a little bit because 
if I wanted a mentor, I guess maybe one of the first things I would do is ask somebody to be a mentor. It's very contrary to what people do because I've been asked a bunch over the years. I've had a relatively long career and I've been asked a whole bunch of times, can you mentor me? And I always say no. I've not ever said yes to anyone who's ever asked. And the reason I do that is because it is a giant responsibility that they're asking. And I've had so many people say, well, I'll do anything. Give me any kind of job. I'll do anything. Well, then that puts all this pressure on me to come up with something for them to do. And it's like, I would rather just hire an employee to do those things instead of trying to find a job for someone else. Let's back up to talk then about what a mentor is. Okay. What do you mean when you say mentor? So a mentor is one of those words that is so used that it's meaningless. So many people say, oh, I'm a mentor or I've been mentored. And sometimes what they mean is I had a boss who took me under their wing and kind of guided me in my career. Right. Sometimes they mean I paid a consultant and that person I paid money to did something for me. And then that helped me out and it took me to the next level. And they call that mentorship. Sometimes they say, oh, I had this friend and that friend gave me some good advice. And then that was also a mentor. So when you say mentor, what do you mean? When I say mentor, what I mean is someone in the field that you want to excel at, who has been there before, they see promise in you and then they offer to help you. They see what you're doing and they see that you have the kind of ambition. Maybe they see their younger self in you and then they say, oh, I would like to help you achieve things faster than I did. So a mentor is different than a coach in some ways because a coach could sort of help anybody, but a mentor could only help somebody that wants to go their direction. Yes, and a mentor is not going to get paid. Ian, do you agree with Tim? That you can't just send a heartfelt email to somebody saying how much you appreciate the work and that you'd like to, to help them. You'd like to, in exchange for getting some advice from them. Yeah, I do. Totally. It's like this doesn't happen? Not successfully. These relationships, they take a long time to cultivate. I think most of the time, at least in my experience, is the mentor-mentee relationship. It starts over weeks or months of having some kind of other kind of relationship before the mentor-mentee relationship. So, for example, working together, maybe knowing each other through some kind of event and keeping in touch, thing like going to lunch five or six times. It's a very organic process. It's not a handshake deal most of the time. It's one of those things like if they accepted the offer, you probably wouldn't want that person to be the mentor. Is it similar to asking someone if they want to have sex with you? Like if they say yes, you're kind of like, uh, I don't want to have sex with you anymore. Right. Because it's like, what's, <laughs> what's wrong? They should just gonna want to do it right away. <laughs> For a lot of people, it shouldn't be that transactional. You know, people want it to be an emotional kind of experience. Let me talk about something that I feel is misunderstood here when people are trying to get the attention of a mentor. I think there's a difference between making an offer and making an offering. So making an offer goes like this. You reach out to a potential mentor and you say, you know, you're the best. You know, I really respect you. I'd love to learn more from you. I'm willing to do anything you want. Ah, that's so much drama. That's so much work for me. 
Right. You know, if I'm the mentor. Even if I'm reaching out to you and saying like, you know, I'd love to send you all this free stuff because I know you love free stuff. And it's like, well, then all of a sudden you're kind of like roping them into this immediate reciprocal relationship, which works great amongst peers. But I think when you're looking for a mentor, you have to focus more on the making an offering side of things, which is like, okay, like if you want to send them something, why don't you like work the back channels to figure out what their address is or to have it specifically hand delivered to them while they're at an event? It's like, so there's a difference you see between going after someone in the mentor category versus just doing something nice for a peer. And I think that that's something that people misunderstand when they're reaching out to mentors. And also what you're saying, Dan, is it shouldn't be work for the person. Right. That's the biggest thing. It's not about giving free things to people. It's about the people that are in a mentorship position. They don't want to cut deals like the first time they talk to somebody. And maybe they don't want to cut deals at all. So a lot of times the mentor has something to offer that the mentee wants. And then on the other side of the coin, the mentee has something to offer the mentor. It's not always obvious what each other has to offer. But a lot of times I find that these relationships are just built around wanting to be around each other. And then those things become more obvious. So it's like you have to kind of want to be around someone. If someone is sending me some kind of offer and I'm not even sure if I want to spend time with them, then it's really hard for me to accept that offer, right? Because they're not kind of pre-qualified in my mind as somebody that I want to have experiences with. And so I think this goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of the episode, which is these relationships are built on hours and hours of getting to know each other and trusting each other and then feeling out a relationship moving forward from there. They don't generally start with these cold offers. Would you be willing to talk through some characters, some people that we've encountered, maybe some composite characters of people that often show up when it comes to mentoring? People that come into your life that you look to and you say, hey, this is someone that I you know, would like to be like someday. Yeah. So we're going to roll through this list of characters here. And this is fun. I like doing this. The idea here is that all these characters exist. And I think you and I have encountered all these people. And keep in mind that with all these characters that we're going to outline here, I truly believe that there are these categories, but then there's also these people that have traits of the other categories. And sure, these relationships are very easy to define in that I think the mentor and the mentee both want something from each other, and all these people possess some of these characteristics, and it is a push and pull, just like any relationship, right? In a marriage, in a business relationship, everybody has their own individual wants and desires, but then you also have to give to the other person. Keep that in mind, is that some of these people might come across as evil in these scenarios. They're not actually evil, they're just, they want something. And I think that everybody in this type of relationship wants something from the relationship. Sure. Here's one of the first type of mentors that I think is interesting, and I'll call him Platform Paul. Platform Paul has too many toys to play with. So the platform would be like, I don't know, remember like the Richie Rich cartoon where Richie Rich had this amazing mansion and you would, as watching it, you would imagine going there and playing with all this stuff or riding the train. Yeah. And there are people that have achieved unique success in life that just have all this abundance around them. They don't have the time, the resources, or honestly, a lot of times the brains, just the high quality, uninvested people around them that they can throw at the challenges that exist in their life. Let me say that another way. So Paul has a big platform, right? Let's say it's a business. But everyone in his life wants something from him. Maybe a salary. Maybe they're his lawyer and they want to get some more cases or some more perks or whatever. But Paul has tons of upside potential if smart people come into his life because there's so much abundance there. It's like the Richie Rich Mansion. If someone competent could come into that arena, put their hands on some of the knobs 
they could really make a difference. And as a mentee, Platform Paul is really the person that I think is fascinating. Because the truth is this, is like, as a young, ambitious person that wants to be an entrepreneur, you can run a small business, like a successful small business. You can run it. You know what I mean? Like, there's no speed limit. No cop's going to pull you over. Like, right. if you earn the trust of Paul, he might just say, hey, here's the keys to the car. Drive it around for a couple of weeks. And as a young person or as a person who's learning a new skill, that experience is breathtaking because you could have never really done that on your own. So to get to like kind of skip ahead 10 years and feel the wheel of how that larger platform feels. You and I, Dan, are pretty confident in our description, I think, of Platform Paul because we both experienced it and also as a mentor and a mentee. I think we try and give people the keys to our platform quite regularly. Here's the interesting part for me in terms of being the mentee in this situation. And this is where I see a lot of people fail when they come into these opportunities is that they see Platform Paul has an amazing opportunity for the right person. They show up understanding that they want what Platform Paul has, but they don't have the experience to necessarily run whatever that person is offering successfully. But they know that it's kind of the end goal, but they haven't done the work up front to get close enough to be successful in that position. So for example, Platform Paul has an amazing marketing company. He needs somebody to come in, step in and run it. You know a little bit about marketing, but you don't have that experience that would make you successful in that situation. But you just show up and you say, hey, I'm willing to do anything you want. I want to be you, Platform Paul. I want to run a marketing agency. And So I think what you have to do as the mentee, you have to be ready for these opportunities as they present themselves. Well, here's a specific way in which you can be ready. I think you need to have a black box of information that Platform Paul is not privy to, that he doesn't understand and values in you. Yes. So he's willing to overlook the other things. So So you say, for example, hey, Platform Paul, I understand you have an amazing marketing agency. You guys have been only doing print for the last 20 years. Let me open you up to the world of online advertising. Sure. And Platform Paul says, I don't know anything about that. That's great. Well, I've been doing it for five years. So I don't know how to run a $20 million marketing company, but I do know all this interesting stuff about online marketing. Then it's okay that you don't have CEO level experience because you're going to open up a whole new world for Platform Paul. But the important thing is here is like the last thing Platform Paul is going to be is like, oh, wow, I've never heard of internet marketing before. That's great, man. Come on in and do all the kind of stuff you want. Like this stuff doesn't happen like that, right? It's like he's probably going to turn you away or they don't want to be pitched on business opportunities. He's already got a big platform. So it's a matter of making these offerings, like showing up and just doing something nice for them or like, you know what I mean? Like there are ways that you can expose this powerful person to opportunities that aren't like making them a deal he can't refuse all the time. And, you know, now that Taylor has become a theme in the episode, because we mentioned him at the top of the episode, do you remember the first time that we talked to Taylor? He didn't have that black box. He just had, you could tell he was ambitious. He had the desire, you know, he wanted to own a business, all these things. And we were just kind of like, well, what do you know? It wasn't until that he went away and worked at a marketing firm that was different from ours. He learned something that we didn't know and he could bring that into the company. Right. And then he came back and he slayed. How about Nostalgic Norman? Nostalgic Norman, you know, he's a guy that's not so dissimilar necessarily to Platform Paul. He might in the fact that he has a platform of some sort. But he doesn't necessarily want the same things that Platform Paul wants. So I think Nostalgic Norman is more of an emotional character. He wants to basically relive his life through you. 
So he wants to bring you in and he wants to put you in the office next to him and he wants you to teach you everything that he knows. And a lot of times he doesn't want you to deviate from his way of success, right? So a lot of times when you are doing what Nostalgic Norman wants you to do, but then you see a better way to do it or you see a way to become more successful, then Nostalgic Norman might get a little bit intimidated by that. Right. Like Nostalgic Norman has a high churn rate with mentees because if things aren't going like right down the nostalgic path, then that could come across as a threat or it might not just meet the emotional need that he has to feel like that his path was important and validated. That's real. You know, that people feel that way. Nostalgic Norman has been in the used car sales business for 25 years. <laughs> he's been doing it through print ads and it's been very successful. Look at what he's accomplished. Do you see my beautiful wife? Do you see my beautiful cars, my dog, all this stuff? You think you're going to come in here and just change this business with the internet? <laughs> Are you crazy? How about Mini Me Miranda? Have you met Mini Me Miranda? She's senior to you. Maybe she works at your company. She wants to help you, but she also wants a buddy. She's going to let you in on all the inside stuff what's going on yeah how you need to go this way that way here's how i got all my success you know this one this is the thing about mentorships it's like this is like a high contact sport here you're dealing with people's like emotions and like desires with their lives and like this one can be toxic too. Yeah, mini me Miranda, a lot of times you come into a company and maybe as a junior colleague and mini me Miranda sees you as a basically a pawn, a way to further her own agenda while of course boosting you up slightly. This mini me Miranda relationship can be a lot more one-sided than it seems at least from the mentee perspective. Well, Miranda's the mentor that approaches you. Correct. It's like, hey, I'm going to take you under my wing. And, you know, nothing ever good knocks at your front door <laughs> if you live in the suburbs. When's the last time you're in New York, somebody approached you with something actually good that would benefit you? <laughs> Zero. And the truth is, is that like people could want all kinds of things from you. Like they could want sexual stuff from you. They could want to further their own career. They could just be bored. And so it's just important to sort through that trash so that you're not putting too much trust in them because they could ruin your future to meet your platform, Paul, or your boss man, Bob. Okay, so I think Bossman Bob is sort of an interesting character because Bossman Bob is the boss that you have that more or less passes the corner office test. So the corner office test is when you like lean back, hit your cubicle, and you look down the hall and you say, hey, you know, Bob's got it pretty good. I wouldn't mind being like Bob. Nice corporate car. Yeah, or, you know, maybe he's, Bob's not here. Bob's in the Canary Islands with the family, you know what I mean? So that's pretty good. And, like, Bob gives me a lot of autonomy. He's taught me a lot about how to run his business. And this is really the person that we're talking about when we say go out and get yourself an apprenticeship. It's to work at Bossman Bob, who has less than 15 employees company, and to really maximize the amount you can learn from Bossman Bob. Now, it's similar to Platform Paul in the sense is like, this is tricky. You really need to sort out whether you're primarily an employee or a mentee because it's going to change how you operate at that company. If you decide that indeed Bossman Bob is grooming you to be a great business owner one day yourself, you know, I think things like maximizing for your salary can be a mistake because really what you're trying to do is learn as much as possible. And you're going to do that by maximizing your platform at that company. So maximizing the amount you can hire, the amount of budget you control, the projects and autonomy you enjoy in that company, I think, are paramount because that's the check that you're going to cash for millions down the line. Let me give a very concrete example of this. Let's say you make a living wage. In the U.S., that might be something like $35,000 a year, $30,000 a year. Good luck, buddy. I don't know when the last time you tried to live here was. <laughs> it's rough. <laughs> 
Well, let's just say things are rough, you know? So you're driving your Datsun to work and stuff, and you're like, well, it'd be nice to upgrade. And you walk down the hall to Bob and you say, hey, man, you know, like, I'm doing such a great job. I'm learning so much. I really want to be committed to this company, but, you know, can we get that 35 grand up to 70 grand? You know, can we double it? You know, that's one move. That's to maximize your kind of salary at that company, not be a sucker, all the, to make your life a little bit better for that time period. But I really think, honestly, the smarter move is to go down to that corner office and try to get 35 grand to like hire a team in the Philippines or to bring a new factory online in China or to put up a branded version of your white label product on a whole new website and a whole new brand. Here's your approach summarized, Dan, and this is why it's very important. If you're going to have a job, I think Bossman Bob is the best kind of mentor potentially that you can have. Essentially, what you're saying is don't maximize for income, maximize for experience. And that's what Bossman Bob has to offer you. So yeah. if I was going to have any kind of job here, Dan, and I might, depending on how life goes in the future, <laughs> yeah. this is the kind of job that I want. It's going to fulfill my future desires and dreams. It's not a quick fix you know, for income. This is a long-term approach. Absolutely. It's hard, I guess, because it's a little illegible. People might ask, like, you know, well, aren't I being a sucker if I don't take the 35 grand? Like, what am I really going to get by building Bossman Bob something for 35 grand? Well, you're going to have that invaluable experience of, you know, not a lot of people have $35,000 to chuck at a second continuing education. And that's the opportunity that Bossman Bob gives you. And that's the sort of thing that I've seen pay off for people. So as I mentioned, Dan, I think all these mentors kind of share some of these same traits. It's really important to know what you want in a mentor. And it's also important to know what you have to offer. You know, the good thing about finding a mentor, Ian, is that it's a relatively simple decision. Hey, I agree. This is a great strategy for accelerating my career and life, but it doesn't mean that it's easy. It takes a ton of tenacity and getting turned down. Here's Tim Conley on that point. It's kind of like those old kung fu movies, right? The young guy wants to learn kung fu, goes to the old master, and he's like, no, and sends him away. And then eventually says, okay, go carry me this water. And then eventually the guy finds out, oh, in all these things that this mentor's been having me do, I've learned some kung fu. And now, after showing all this persistence and the ability to work hard and do as I was told, then the Kung Fu master says, yes, you can come and I will teach you Kung Fu. That's interesting because the people that have the ability to gain people's trust over the course of a year, it might take a year to get a mentor, for example. Is it a self-selecting crowd then that like those people achieve exceptional success? They say because maybe I had a mentor. But did that process select them in the first place? That process of anybody that can get a mentor has the ability to build trusting relationships with successful people. Exactly. And that's one of the rules that I wrote about was that the process of trying to get a mentor and being told no over and over and over again and the improvement that you have to go through to get a yes from a good mentor will be worth the process. It's a litmus test almost. It's a test of your mettle. Right. And it also causes you to grow, which is why you want a mentor in the first place, Right, is to grow. So the more you try to be worth a mentor's time, the more you're going to grow as a person. And then you may find, I don't actually need this mentor, right? Because I've made this growth. <laughs> That's fascinating. But when you show that, then the mentor goes, oh, I've got a few secrets that you don't know yet. Come on over. Because you've shown that you will keep doing whatever's necessary to get to the next level in your life. Let's talk some tips. 
You know, what are some things to keep in mind when finding a mentor? Like, how would you even go about finding one? First of all, I think keep in mind these different personas that exist. And you can probably build your own out of what we've given you. So keep that in mind, that all these people want something and you want something. So try and understand the fundamentals of those relationships. Where I would find someone is I would do exactly what Taylor is doing, which is he's moving to a location where people are doing interesting things or things that he wants to do. And I feel like lately, Dan, I've been doing the same thing. So I moved to Austin because there's an amazing group of entrepreneurs here, and there's also an amazing motorsports scene here. And those are two things that I'm very interested in. That was a big deciding factor in my moving to the great state of Texas. And during this journey over the last year, I have started to bump into people that I feel like could be potential mentors for me in the future. It's been a process of going to events. It's been a process of making myself available, talking with people, and also offering people services or ideas that I have to give them. Nine times out of 10, you have to change your life to get involved in a relationship like this, right? And I think that that's the tough part, right? Like being a mentee to someone isn't about doing them nice things on their birthday, delivering brownies occasionally to their front door. You know what I mean? It's not like that. It's like you can't just do stuff for them. Like it's a trajectory thing. Your life has to be going that direction. And that's part of the rejection issue is you need to prove that you're going that direction, that you're trustworthy, that you're not going to waste time, waste people's energy. You can't just live the same life and like do stuff on the side for people. That's not what it's not about a favor exchange. It's more about are you really willing to get on the trajectory? And that brings me to our next tip, which is what should you be wary of? in this process. And here's what I think. Are we allowed to swear on this podcast? I can't remember. Yeah, this is not public radio. Don't partner up with rich assholes. And and whatever asshole means to you as a human, just because they have something you want doesn't mean they're living the way you want or that you can admire them. And you just won't have the energy to make the commitment, to build the trust, to spend the time if you don't genuinely connect. And for me, it's always been about like a resonance with who that person is. And it's not just the fact that they've achieved the outcome that you want. Yeah, I think you and I share the same trait, Dan, which is like basically we see people in our lives, whether it be mentors or friends or people that we aspire to be like, and we take pieces of them and we kind of mold it into our own identity. And I think that's been successful for me. And I enjoy doing that. It's like, hey, here's Bob over there. I really like the way that he treats his kids. I'm going to implement that into my life. Here's Sherry over here. I really like the way that she deals with business partners. I'm going to take that, right? And so I don't think that it makes sense to try and replicate people one-to-one, right? So when you go into these mentor-mentee relationships, I don't think you actually want to be exactly like that person, right? But you do want to take certain aspects of what they're up to or how they've been successful in their life and make that into your successes in your life. I think it's very interesting, Ian, you know, like you said, like, you know, you're kind of like the old dog on the block now and you're still going out there seeking mentors. I think they can be just as powerful in the middle of your career as they can be at the very, very beginning when you're looking to get involved in something new. There's another sort of in-between stage that I talked to Tim about, and it's about how the relationship evolves, you know, like at the beginning, maybe you're working for that mentor and later on it might start to become fun or you might even become friends. You don't know when you're younger how much pressure there is in an older person's life that has a lot going on. He might have a few lawsuits, 50 employees, a four-person family, an extended family, a vacation coming up, 
and all of a sudden this 22 year old needs their problem solved you know what i mean right and i think sometimes the young people they underestimate how busy life can get when you have some business success yeah you just have more responsibility and that's part of success is taking on responsibility and that's what a good mentor will try to do is get you to take responsibility for every bit of your life and not just for your own life and this is where that comes into offering to help other people's problems when your problems are bigger than theirs is that you come in to them and you take their problems on as your responsibility. Actually, something dawned on me while we were having that conversation is a lot of times the turning point in this relationship can come when the mentor trusts that you'll actually give them time in the long run or that it'll be fun, that you won't be a drag. Right. Because you have no track record. Right. You're brand new. It's that catch-22 where to get a job, you have to have experience. But to have experience, you have to have a job, right? So the only way to get that experience is for someone to be altruistic and just give it to you. And then they take on all your responsibilities. Or you take on the responsibility of gaining the experience, whether that is you find out a problem that a mentor has and you go out and solve it for them. And you come back to them saying, hey, I have a solution and I've already done all the legwork. So here it is. It works. And then they go, oh, wow, that was good for me. Now I'll do something that I'll reciprocate and I'll do something good for you. This sort of thing goes on long enough. And eventually this person, you know, might have a business that's way more successful than yours. Or you might end up becoming friends. It's like it's not like a kind of a, a trust game the whole way through. I mean, how do you deal with it when somebody that you've mentored ends up, you know, outperforming you? Is that a problem for you? Because I know it's kind of a tricky thing sometimes. It is tricky. I think that for me, it's always a great feeling. I always like it when they outperform me and they're able to surpass me. But you know, as a mentor, you have to be able to adapt to that. And I see a lot of people kind of fail in that position. Here's one of the reasons why is that don't assume that mentors are good at being mentors. They're trying to either grow their business or they have an expertise that you admire, but that might not be mentoring. Yeah. And so sometimes that can get in the way and and they can get jealous or get mad or they can feel ripped off. Yeah. And I think a perfect example that people can see in their everyday lives, even if you're not involved in this mentor-mentee situation in business yet, is just like with your parents as an adult. I think a lot of people grow up as children and their parents continue to treat them as children. Really, I think in successful relationships with your folks, you have to evolve. You know, you have to at some point see each other as somewhat equals. You can't be talking down to your child when they're 35 years old, right? Speaking of equals, you know, I just got off the phone with Taylor and, you know, we have mastermind check-ins with each other like it's funny because at the beginning episode i was using him as an example like oh prove yourself to me and now it's like i feel so lucky to be on taylor's mastermind call you know so uh, it's like he's evolved into someone that i see now as a friend and as a peer certainly has done things that i think are world-class and super impressive i mean that's been just awesome you have to be able to evolve your roles in these relationships the way they start isn't necessarily the way that they end and i want to say this in terms of friendship i've had a lot of these situations turn into friendships and i think they're most successful in a lot of ways when they are friendships because it's not transactional what we talked about with a bunch of these characters a very transactional type of relationship the most successful mentor mentee relationships i believe either start with friendships or end with friendships but 
Friendship is an important role, plays an important part of these relationships. Let me give a hard, real word out to all the mentors out there. Where are my mentors at? Let me say something that I think is real is like, yeah, like if you're a mentor, you probably haven't done it that many times. And if you don't evolve and get yourself in a position where you can see your mentee as an equal, you're doing yourself a huge disservice because I guarantee you what's going to happen is that person's going to fade out of your life. And I think back to some of my mentors, you know, like here's the thing, like young people, they're ambitious, they change a lot, they move quick. And sometimes that's tough for someone that is, you know, really like they're in this relationship because of their experience and what they know. And, and then all of a sudden things change and they don't know everything. I sometimes look back at those relationships and think, man, wouldn't it be great if that still existed? You know, wouldn't it be great if we were friends now? In some of the relationships in my life, it didn't, like, we just couldn't be that. Like, I always had to be underneath that person. And I'm 35. Do you know what I mean, Ian? It's like, I think this is important. Like, it's such a great thing that you've done. It's such an awesome relationship in life. But there's a sticky point, you know, when things do need to evolve. And if you don't, you could miss out on the best part, which is seeing them succeed, being there for it, being a part of it, sharing in that success. And then, hey, it could be a business opportunity or retirement prospect for you down the road. Like if things go sour for you, you go <laughs> right. work for them. That's, what <laughs> That's <I> your <laughs> plan? <laughs> yeah, man. Well, hey, it's a good one. <laughs> hey, like you know what we're saying, not all endings are happy when it comes to this stuff, Ian. And, and one more word from Tim on that. Some mentors, they may have started off good, but then they find that they start using the person. The person becomes more valuable to them than the value that they're actually giving to the person. So they start using this mentee who is being earnest, trying to gain the knowledge and skills and everything that was kind of agreed upon in this relationship. And then the mentor, and I have seen it happen, where mentors just started abusing that relationship to get essentially very high quality free labor out of people. I've noticed that people can get offended when you don't want to do things the way that they told you to do it too. Because they know you so well, they can say really deep shit to you, to your face. Like, you know, I've been insulted pretty deeply about the decisions I was making about my business by mentor type relationships. And it like went right to the bone, you know, because they knew how to insult me, you know. There's also the giving advice to people and then they don't take it. And then you get mad. I've done that. I've gotten mad where someone didn't take the advice. But usually I've only gotten mad. You know, my ego would get hurt a little bit. But when I'd get mad is when I gave them advice. They refused to take the advice. And then things went wrong. And then they come back to me and then want more advice. Like if you just listened on the last one, right? <laughs> I can be just as hurt by this process too. That's why it's such a tough relationship. Being a mentor and asking someone to mentor you. It's very personal. You know, Ian, at the top of the episode, we promised a simple fail-proof success strategy, or at least thought this might be something more simple than, you know, a complex path to success. But of course, when I listen back to it, I just think about how complex it is to find a mentor, to maintain that relationship. I just like to encourage anybody listening that's thinking about doing this to go give it a shot. You know, it's like, it can be messy and it's not always going to work out, but in my life, these things have made all the difference. Meeting people that can sort of 
crack open the world for you and show you another way to do things and earning their trust and being around them. I mean, those relationships are super powerful and they're not always going to be clean and easy. And it's not always going to go without a couple difficult conversations. Yeah. And when you say give it a shot, Dan, I think most long lasting relationships don't start with a one night stand from the bar. Except for ours, of course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you say give it a shot, like, hey, give it a couple years and see if you meet the right person. <laughs> yeah. And this is a really a long path. And so put yourself in a position to be able to capitalize when the right person comes along. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to be like, you know, do you believe us that getting a mentor is a powerful way to grow your career? Then stop on by tropicalmba.com slash mentors and you can just sign up for one tomorrow. You know, it's like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's just, it's just too good for that. It's too scarce for every mentor out there. There's, you know, maybe a hundred people trying to get their attention, trying to get something from them. And maybe only one ends up earning enough trust or building enough goodwill. I think that's just the name of the game. We'd love to hear your thoughts, of course. This one will be posted at tropicalmba.com slash mentor. And we'll be back next Thursday morning. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.